We are glad that you joined us today. God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we want to hear about it. If you've been impacted by Fuel Church, share your story with us by emailing mystory at thefuelchurch.com. And to learn more about our worship experiences, visit our website at www.thefuelchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you three little short things. You pay attention because I'm going to talk fast. I'm not in a hurry. When I was in the basic training, my drill sergeant got on to me. He said, uh, it's, you need to slow down. I said, slow down? What do you mean slow down? He said, you talk too fast. I said, I'm just trying to tell you what you're asking me, you know. And he said, we didn't know Southerners talk fast. I said, we all talk fast. I said, no, you don't. Oh, my family does. My dad had 12 brothers and sisters and a lot of women in the house. <laughs> so as a man, you learn, if you want to say something, you better say it quick. because They're not taking turns. You just got to jump in. And the men take turns when they talk. Women don't take turns. They, they, they 12 women in a circle. They all talk at the same time. So I learned as a guy, if you want to say something, don't wait for your turn. Just jump in. And so uh, I started teaching on family about 35 years ago. I, w- I was an engineer. and God called us in the ministry, so I quit my job and uh, moved to Bible school. took three years to go through a two-year Bible school. We were kind of slow. And, uh, and then we got on a church staff, and they said, uh, we're going to make you the education director. I said, what's that? So well, you're in charge of educating our people. I said, what's wrong with them? I said, well, they're just dumb. I'm cleaning that up a lot. So they're just dumb. They don't know. And God said, my people destroy for lack of knowledge. So we started a parenting class on a Sunday evening. And I realized earlier that nobody knew about parenting. Uh, everybody half a psalm, half a hymn, half an opinion. Nobody quoted any scripture. I thought, you know, there, we came with a book. I was working as an engineer one time. I was working in Sykes, Missouri, and I got a call at 2 o'clock in the morning. Joe, you need to come in here. We bought a brand new $80,000 machine. Now, this is a long time. That was an expensive machine. Big rod break, breakdown machine. Fed the whole plant. We made copper wire. Uh, 12 gauge, uh, 14 gauge, uh, 18 gauge, made it, we made it all. So this is the machine that feeds the whole plant. So we just invested that money in it. And all of a sudden it stopped working one night. So they called me in and says, I'm the, I'm the process engineer. I fix stuff that doesn't work. So I come in, everybody's there, it's hot. Man, the back doors are open at the plant. And man, there's mosquitoes flying around. So the plant manager's there and the owner's there. And, and so I walk in. So I said, would it be check this? If you check this, yes, yes, you check this. So I said, well, where's the handbook? And I said, what? Every machine comes with a handbook. Uh, if you buy a blender from Walmart, it comes with a handbook. You buy a pickup truck from Ford, it comes with a handbook. You buy a lawnmower from Sears, it comes with a handbook. That $80,000 machine came with a handbook. Where's the handbook? And nobody could find it. Because men don't read handbooks. We don't waste time with a handbook. Just <laughs> plug that thing in, let's get that thing going. And so, uh, and so it took 30 minutes to find it. It was in the bottom drawer of a foreman's office, and we, it had not been opened. Nobody had opened the handbook to the $80,000 machine. So I ripped the handbook open, and I'm sitting there, I, I opened it. So every handbook has a troubleshooting section in the back. Now, they hired me because they think I'm a genius. No, I'm just real practical. So they think I'm reading some sort of, you know, trigonometry in this book. So no, I'm looking for a troubleshooting section. I go to the back, and it says, have you checked this? And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. And number five, I think, in the book says, it's machine plugged in. <laughs> now, nobody knows what I'm reading. I'm the genius that's going to fix this big thing. So I closed it up, so I walked over and that's this big machine sit right in the back of the plant, back corner. And so there's probably about 18 inches twin out in the wall. So I'm looking down the back wall. I'm looking for that, that 220 plug. And I'm looking. So I see tobacco spit and coffee cups and trash and stuff. I don't see a plug. So I was much skinnier back then. So I turned sideways and I walked down. Because it's about 12 foot deep, about, I don't know, 30 foot long, 18 foot high. I walked back down. I looked down the back of it. And sure enough, halfway down, 
that 220 plug's hanging halfway out of the wall. It was an old plant built in World War II, and so it had been empty for years, and we just moved into this thing. So I turned sideways, I eased down through there, and I got to it, and I kicked it in. When I kicked it in, it came on. Now, nobody can see me. I'm behind that big machine. Boy, hey, 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 Joe, it's working. Hey, it's working, Joe, it's working. So it took about 60 seconds to get back out. Everybody's patting me on the back and checking my hand. And so I said, if it tears up again, call me. Because you don't tell grown men at 2 o'clock in the morning, hey, stupid, did you check the plug? And so our plant manager was Charlie McPhail, so I went in the next morning. Wonderful guy. He's a real good guy. He uh, went to Michigan State. And, and uh, so, uh, yeah. And so anyhow, he called me and said, Joe, I appreciate you fixing that thing last night. I said, yeah, no problem. He said, uh, he said well, tell me, is it going to happen again? I said, yes, sir, it's going to happen again. He throws his pen in. Doggone it. Do we need to call the manufacturer? No, it's not their fault. It's our fault. He said, what was wrong with it? So he's got a yellow pad. He's got a big desk and a big table in front of him. So I'm sitting at this big table. He's got a pad. So, well, what was wrong with it? I said, it was unplugged. <laughs> and uh, he's, he looked at me, laid that pen, unplugged. And then he said, are you billing us for that? Yes, sir. I've already turned it into accounting. That, that plug's going to cost you. I said, now your operator could have checked for the plug. Your foreman could have checked for the plug. Your supervisor could have checked for the plug. But you call me in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I fix the plug. I just plugged it in, and it's going to be real expensive. And I bet you that's the last time you'll ever call me at 2 o'clock in the morning to come plug that thing in. And what happened is nobody reads the book. You and I came with a book. It's the same book. Volume 2 is not coming out. God's going to stick with volume 1. It's an old book. Well, that's an old book, yeah, but it's real modern. It'll still be good 10,000 years now. It's God's word. God watched over it. It'll never change. This book's going to stay the same. So you've got to get your face in the book. So I'm going to give you this story. When I was working with uh, high school students years ago, I love high school students. They got all kinds of spit and vinegar about themselves. And, you know, nothing. they're not afraid of anything. They're going to live forever. They don't talk about death. We don't talk about death. We're going to live forever. And so I got the scripture in Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. Um, uh, I quoted a scripture last night about the married couples in 1 Peter 3. said, if you want to enjoy life and see good days, keep your tongue from speaking evil. See that your lips speak no guile. Now, throughout the word of God, God said, life and death is in the power of the tongue. Uh, I deal with families all the time. I'm the only minister in my family. My dad's got 12 brothers and sisters. My father-in-law's got 12 brothers and sisters. So I'm the only minister in the whole bunch. And I have to be Pentecostal, which kind of messes with them. So I do all the weddings and the funerals because I'm free. I don't charge anything. And so I do everything. So I'm the guy that, I'm the, I'm the guy that only things get heavy. And so I realized something. Most families in my home that we deal with, uh, the problem comes out of their mouth. Why are you having hell in your marriage? You won't shut your mouth. Why do you have trouble at work? You won't shut your mouth. You're giving your opinion. You're writing stuff on the bathroom wall, and you're telling everybody to cough maker what you think about the ball. It's like, you need to shut your mouth. Life and death is the power of the tongue. People know you for what comes out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. So all of a sudden, I think God sees this even more important. So he said, what do you do about marriage? Well, the first thing I'm going to do with the married couple is get them to shut their mouth. I don't care what your problem is. The problem is the reason you're sitting in front of me. And I only deal with Christians. I said, the reason you're sitting in front of me tonight and this counseling session because you can't shut your mouth. He said, she said, he said, she said, shut your mouth. And if you're not trying to bless somebody, don't, don't speak. We don't need to know what you have. Life and death is the power of the tongue, so keep it shut. So I got this number six this years ago. Um, Every Sabbath, if you go to Israel, I'm going here in a couple of months. I've been twice, I'm going a third time. If you go to Israel on the Sabbath, it's a special day. They shut everything down in Israel. 
I don't care if you're in Tel Aviv, Jerusalem. If you're there on the Sabbath, nobody lights a stove. Nobody cooks nothing. So whatever you eat on the Sabbath, it's cold. It was cooked the day before. They don't do anything. They don't do any work in that 24-hour period. And so uh, we, we were over there on Sabbath, so I noticed something. They have different rules and things. So a church for them is 24 hours. They'll show up at a big kibbutz. They'll show up at a hotel. They show up at sundown on Friday. The kids bring their inner tubes, and they bring lots of food, and they got cakes and stuff. And it's like, what, what are you doing? It's a picnic. No, it's church. We're, we have 24-hour church in Israel. 24 hours. We're going to sing, dance, smoke. Everybody smokes. That's the smokiest nation you've ever seen in your life. And all smoking and dancing and twirling and singing. And, and man, they're, I mean, they're up all night long. And it's the father's job at sunup to get the kids up, get them dressed, and take them down to the local synagogue. Moms don't do anything on the Sabbath. Jewish mothers love the Sabbath. Dads get them up. They get them dressed. So you'll see them walking because they can't drive. So they're going to walk to the local synagogue. So dad's leading. The kids are falling behind. And mom's behind all dressed up, just enjoying herself. Because she didn't do anything this morning. She's not going to do anything all day. So then they come back. So they come back. And there's more party. At the end of the Sabbath, uh, every hotel, wherever you're at, you'll notice in our guide, every time he'll bring us out, we've got this big six-story hotel. We can look down the lobby like an embassy suite. So look at this. At the close of every Sabbath, the men get all the kids in the circle. Their kids, their grandkids, all the children get in a big circle. And the elder man walks around that circle and he starts laying hands on every kid. And when he's speaking, he's speaking in Hebrew, but he's saying, may the Lord make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. May God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. In other words, he's saying, may God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. May God make you spiritually strong and economically creative. So a Jewish kid grows up having hands laid on him 52 times a year for 18 years of his life the dad or the grandfather's laying hand. I expect you to be spiritually strong. I expect you to be filthy, stinking rich. <laughs> now, in America, we don't say that. Dear God, get to your room. Shut up. I'll be glad when you're out of the house. I don't even know why we had you. We were stupid. I don't, I'll be glad when you're out of here. And so we wonder why our kids are costing us a fortune. And we're not saying the right words. You've got to call those things as be not as though they are. So you've got to learn how to get the flow revert. You're a blessing, you little knothead. Yes, you are. You're a, you're a blessing. Yes, you little rascal. Bless your heart. But this is out of Numbers 6. This is Moses giving some instruction to Aaron and all the priests. He got something from God. He said, that, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them. Now, we all quote this. I had people that signed my yearbook in high school. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious. you. May the Lord lift up his uh, countenance upon you and give you peace. Whenever Aaron and his sons bless the people of Israel in my name, God said, I will bless them. God, when are you going to bless me? When you bless yourself. When are you going to bless my kids? When you bless them. When are you going to bless my marriage? When you bless it. So if we could follow each other around with a tape recorder for about 24 hours, we'd know why we have so much hell in our life. Right. What came out of your mouth in the last 24 hours? You're an idiot. I don't know why I'm married. You're dumb than dirt. Man, you're stupid. You're just like your old man. You're like your old lady. You know? And all of a sudden, we're speaking curses. Christian people speaking curses. And hell will watch over every one of those words and bring it to pass. Heaven watches over your word. Hell watches over your word. You've got to make sure, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak say, I'm strong. The poor say I'm rich. Call those things that be not as though they are. Why? God, God created this whole universe by saying something one day. I went through Canada one time for three weeks doing a seminar. I went across Canada, and people asked me, said, are you one of those name it and claim it preachers? 
I said, I'm sorry, what's that? Are you one of those name it and claim it preachers? And I didn't really know what they meant. I said, I think I am. So you believe you have what you say? I believe I do. I think it's in the Bible. I think it's how I got saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you believe in heart that Jesus Christ, Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, if you confess that with your mouth, you'll be saved. How'd you get saved? I believe something said it. How'd you get to go to heaven? I believe something and I said it. How'd you come out of hell? I believe something and I said it. How'd you become a Christian? I believe something and I said it. It's the law of the kingdom. It works all the time. We're not, we're not, we're not Tinkerbell. We just don't speak stuff. If God hadn't already said in his word, it doesn't matter what you say. God watch over his word, not my word. I don't make up my word. I just quote what he says. And so I tell people in your marriage, you know, and Denise and I, we get mad. We were laughing about it last night. Denise and I, we were in church. We're trying to save our marriage. We wanted to get divorced three years into it, but nobody had been divorced in our family, so we're stuck with each other. And I hated her guts, and she hated mine. And my buddies always said, man, what's wrong with your marriage? I said, I married a she-bear from the south side of Hades. <laughs> and my buddy, my best friend in high school, he's still my best friend today. He said, well, she sure is pretty. Yes, she is. I said, the devil's good looking too. Did you ever read that in the Bible? The devil's good looking. <laughs> and God got nothing to do with nothing. And so, but I, I, when we finally got, you know, some God got us back to the Lord. We rededicated our life, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And we began to realize we need to change some things. We're going to have to get in the word of God. And so we were slowly doing it. So when Denise and I realized that our life was based on what we'd been saying to each other, we tried to change it. But man, for three months, we would yell at each other. I love you. Well, I love you. No, I don't think so. But I love you, you know. And then we quote scripture and said, you're a virtuous woman. You're going to do me good and not evil all the days of your life. <laughs> yeah, man, I can't even go there because it got ugly. <laughs> and for about three months, we're just screaming scripture to each other, you know. And all of a sudden, we got, we're, we're at the dinner table one time. We're trying to eat dinner, but it's getting cold, and the kids are just staring at us yelling. And so we yelled so much, we got out of breath. <sighs> we're just staring at each other. And all of a sudden, we looked, and we thought, this is stupid. We need to eat dinner. And that was the last time we yelled at each other. Now, we have thoughts that we'd say because we learn how to marry couples that last long. They're honest with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, marriage, a marriage person is, is, a, is a gift from God to reveal character flaws in your life. You know, people I got married. I love them. No, no, they're your total opposite. They're your 180 degree opposite. God didn't give you you. God gave you somebody that wasn't you because you didn't have, you already had you. You don't need another you. You need somebody that wasn't you. Two are better than one, not because you agree, but because you see the problem from a different viewpoint. And so marriage courts are full every day with people. I married the wrong person. I married too early. I married too late. No, you married your exact opposite as a gift from God. (laughs) Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) So uh, every every year we write all of our partners. We're known for marriage and family. So the people we've gone to seminars all over America, and so people have signed up to support us. So we pray for our partners every year in, in the fall. And I said, we pray serious things. We're not, we don't stack papers, just lay hands on it, pour oil. We get very specific. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, the thing is established. So we pray three scriptures over everybody. We need healing, marriage, your teenagers, money, your health, whatever it is. We're going to get an agreement. We're going to quote three things from the word of God, and we're going to pray for you. And so it takes several days. Some, one time last year, it took almost a week. But here's what we did. We had a, there were so many coming out. I said, we've got to boil these down into certain categories, okay, get these scriptures. So here's what came in. This is last year's thing. Most common prayer requests from spirit-filled, church-attending Christians. Number one prayer request, we want more love and respect within our family. Now, this is a spirit-filled Christian family. What do you need? We need more love and respect. Why? We don't have any. What happened? We got married. (laughs) I'm not making that up. I'm quoting it up. We need more unity. We need to find more happiness and less arguing. 
we should kind of cut that down. Number three, we need to be in agreement even when we don't agree. So we had to write all those people by it. We either text them or wrote them letters. So we can't agree for that. You either are in agreement or you're not. <laughs> That's up to you. And the, number four, we need more working together. And so we asked them, what's your number one goal for this year coming into? We want to grow closer as a family. We want to have more fun together. We want to have more unity. We want to build a stronger core. What's wrong with the Christian family? They're split. The devil hates the family. Very first family came to this planet, the devil showed up. Adam and Eve got fired from their job, evicted from the house. Kids started killing each other. That's in Genesis 3. He goes downhill to Revelation. In the middle, though, we have Silent Night, Holy Night, We Three Kings of Orient Art. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Some people look to it, forward to it by faith. So we look back on it by faith. It's the same thing. You know, people say, Abraham was the father of our faith. And people say, well, uh, why was it? Well, because he believed God. People always get confused. Abraham wasn't Jewish. There, there were no Jews. There weren't any Jews because it was Judah. So Abraham just believed God. Abraham believed God. Isaac believed God. Jacob believed God. I get to believe God. We all get to believe God. The Bible says the righteous fall, fall seven times a day we get back up. We're not the perfect people. We're the getting back up people. Every day I get to repent. Every day I get to forgive. Every day. First John 1 John 1.9 says if a believer says they don't sin, they're a liar. There's no sanctified water walking person. We're people that are growing up in the things of God. People used to judge us because we start going to church all the time. I guess you think you're holy because you're going to church. No, we're growing in God's grace, though. I guess you think you're perfect. No, we know we're not perfect. That's why we go to church every time the door's open. So a lot of people at the altar, and we pray every Sunday and forgive every Sunday, and it's a great thing. We're growing up. So this is Revelation 2 4. I'll give this to you, and then uh, I'll give you a story. Revelation 2 4. It's my favorite scripture dealing with parenting and marriage. Uh, church at Ephesus, uh, Jesus talking, the angel came down. Church at Ephesus is the one who got bragged on the most. You guys are doing awesome, man. You're helping the poor. You're feeding the hungry. You're helping orphans and widows. Man, you're doing awesome. He's bragging on them. But I have this one thing against you. And they said, what? I thought you liked this. I do like you. God's bragging on them. I really like you, man. You're the big dog of the, all, all seven of them. You're the number one dog. But I have one thing against you. And they said, what is it? And he said, You've left your first love. Like, what? Yeah, you left your first love. You used to, we felt you fell in love. You hung out with me all the time. Sang to me, prayed to me, worshiped, asked questions. We were tight. And then I started to bless you. And then you got your blessing. You not showed up much. The only time you show up is when there's alligators under your armpits. And said, so I miss you hanging out. And he said, well, what do we need to do? He said three things you need to remember from whence you fell. You need to think back. What was it like? I deal with married couples. I can, I'm not a licensed counselor in Oklahoma, therefore I cannot counsel anybody, but I can see everybody one time for 30 minutes. I give every couple I ever talk to, you got 15 minutes to unload. In the middle of 15 minutes, I'm going to stop you, then I'm going to talk. I only give one scripture in every marriage counseling I've ever done. Now, I recommend books. It's this scripture. Number one, you need to remember what it was like when you fell in love. You hate each other's guts. Well, did you, did you hate each other? I mean, I've never heard of a couple going out on a date and saying, hey, honey, can I ask you a question? What? Uh, do I make you sick when we're together? <laughs> what? Yeah, every time we go on a date, I just get sick in my stomach. I just want to puke. <laughs> I thought if I make you as miserable, you make me. Hey, let's get married. <laughs> Nobody does that. People marry people that think they love. Oh, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Well, you know, that's probably good, but you don't know what you're doing. You need to remember what it was like in the beginning when you fell in love. What did you do? Well, we went on a date. We'd drink coffee. We'd talk a lot. When's the last time you talked? When's the last time you went on a date? At least now we're doing a marriage seminar in Kentucky about three years ago, and we're going over some stuff we're going to cover. And uh, 
and uh, we're sitting in the kitchen, and we're having a good day. Kids are home, and, and we're talking about some stuff. I said, well, we need to cover this. I, we need to encourage couples to go on a date. Married people stop dating. They got to go on a date. And she said, that's good, Joe. I said, we need to do that. We date all the time. No, 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 just us, and not the kids, just us. No, we've been on dates, honey. When? Tell me one time we went to the show on a date, just me and you. Well, we went several times. I, so the kids got quiet, and they're staring at me. <laughs> Joe, it's August seven years ago. That's the last date we went on. I thought, oh. And so my kids, dear God, Dad, that's not good. Shut up. Go to your room. Shut up. Go to your room. <laughs> and, uh, and I realized she was right. So she said, living with the kids. And uh, this was several years ago. So I went in. I made, a, I made a fresh pot of coffee. I made her some hot tea. She loves hot tea. And we, got, we live in a big two-story barn house that I built years ago. And I got a Cracker Barrel porch off both ends of it. And so I said, come on, honey, we're going on a date. So I had a cup of coffee and a tea. And we just got our own nasty T-shirts on. I got overalls. We're, we're working. It's a work day. Come on in and told the kids, mom and I are going on a date out on the porch. Don't you come out here. You better not come out unless you're bleeding to death. Don't you come out on this porch. And so they giggled. We went outside. We got big rocking chairs on the porch. And we went out and sat down. It was a nice summer day. And we got little bird feeders around the porch. And we looked down the mountain off of our house. And so we sat down. We rocked. And I'm drinking my coffee. She's just giggling like, you know. And she's sipping her tea. So for 30 minutes, we didn't say a word. We just rocked. I thought, man, I don't think I've ever sat on my porch. It's a nice porch. I ought to come here more. <laughs> so, so 30 minutes in that thing, we looked at each other. We just stared. And I thought, this is good. She said, yeah, we need to do this again tomorrow. Okay, another date tomorrow. For two weeks, we went on a date every day on the front porch. We didn't have to get dressed, get in the car, go buy food. We just went on a date on the porch. And all of a sudden, we began to fall in love again. I had a buddy of mine in Kentucky said, I fall in love with my wife about six or seven times a year. What? Yeah, we fall in love all over again because we get busy paying bills, fixing kids' teeth, trying to get them out of algebra, working with whatever. Uh, let's just go for a walk. Let's walk around the house. Let's just go down the mailbox and back. Let's just do something different. And we've got to start dating it. You need to remember from which you have fallen. You need to repent that you fell. God said, you need to repent. You used to be close to him. You need to repent about that. Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry I walked away from you. I should have been hanging closer, thanking you more, worshiping you more. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm coming back. I'm coming back, Father. And then you need to redo what you did in the beginning. What did you do when you fell in love? We went on dates. Well, you ought to go on another date. It didn't cost money. Just go down to local Starbucks and drink some old skanky coffee. <laughs> I hate Starbucks coffee. I hate it with a passion. I drink real coffee. That's tar. Uh, yeah, Starbucks. And, and it's got 48 flavors. I don't want flavors. I just want coffee. <laughs> I don't want no latte, whatever, and peppermint, julep, but just Coffee. <laughs> Coffee, this black coffee. You want something in it? No, I just want coffee. Just plain coffee. And I want you to pour half of it out and put some water in there, kind of, kind of dilute it a little bit so it won't burn all the way down and I can taste the flavor. So that's me. I love Starbucks. God bless you. <laughs> Anyhow, when we went through this process and I realized Denise and I started dating again and fell in love all over again, that you have to do something on purpose. You can't wait until, you know, well, I'll wait till I lose 50 pounds. I'll wait till I can get up. You know, a $200 meal. No, just, just take your old skanky clothes and get out there and walk around the house. And just drive down to the local quick trip, 7-Eleven, find something. Hey, let's go for some coffee. And people laugh. I said, no, that's how it starts. People are waiting to hit the home run. Listen, if you bat 333 in, the, in, in pro baseball, if you bat 333, you're going to the Hall of Fame. How did you make the Hall of Fame? I struck out two-thirds of the time. How'd you make the Hall of Fame? I struck out two-thirds of the time, and I made the Hall of Fame. Christians, for some reason, think they've got to hit it out of the park every time. 
No, you're not. Maybe you're just going to swing. Well, I missed that one. <laughs> Three strikes, you're out. But at least I made a run at it. And we've done stuff where we went out and went for a while. And sometimes we'd fight. We'd argue because we hadn't talked in a long time. But we don't start talking again. So dating is a big thing. We need to date your spouse. You don't have to spend any money. Just start dating your spouse. Guys, shower. <laughs> Twice a day. Clean up. Water's still good in America. So before you call into bed at night, next to the second most important person in your life, wash your skanky self. Brush your teeth. Dental floss. Put on underarm. Put some clone on. I'm not going anywhere. No, you're going to call in bed to the second most important person in your life. When you get up in the morning, it shouldn't look or smell like a camel died there where you've been laying. <laughs> I just helped somebody. <laughs> so here it is. This is, a, this is what I want to do. Uh, you've got to kind of go remember from where you started, and you've got to redo it and repractice it. It's like, well, I went to church once. Well, you need to go again. I read my Bible once. Well, read it again. I prayed once. Well, why don't you pray again? There's certain things that last a lifetime that enhance your life, make it better. So I go to this. Jesus was 12 years old. It's real short. Luke chapter 2. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Jesus, uh, his parents, you know, this is after silent night, holy night. We, for kings of war and are, the wise men have come and gone. Uh, they got an angel that warned them in a dream that Herod's going to try to kill the kid. You got to go off to Egypt, hide. And they went to Herod, drop dead, and they moved back. And they're going to have a home. And, and so Mary and Joseph have other children now. Now, 70% of theologians believe this, 30% do not. I go with the 70%. I do believe that Jesus had younger brothers and sisters. Those were his from Mary and Joseph. That's the virgin birth, but the rest of them. And so uh, Jesus dealt with the things that all blended families deal with. His brothers never did like him. And until he came out of the grave, they didn't follow him. We don't know who your daddy is. You're, I don't know. We know who our daddy is, but we don't know who your daddy is. You're some, somebody else. You know, and so he, he was in a blended family. People say, you ever teach on blended families? No. Why? Every family in the Bible is blended. Abraham's family was blended. Isaac's family was blended. Joseph's family was blended. Jesus' family was blended. They're all blended. There's no blended Bible. You, can you help us? Same Bible. Works for you, whether you're divorced, married, blended. I don't care if it's a 15th marriage. It's the same book. It'll work. Just start using the book. Quit letting the devil take you into your path. I didn't. I should have. Shut your face up and just start doing the book. God loves to raise the dead. Stanky stuff. Praise God. So this is Jesus when he's 12. The, the family went down to the Passover festival. It's an eight-day festival, so it's a four-day march there. It's a long walk there. You went with a group because they don't have any state troopers then. There's no army. There's thieves and thugs and robbers on the highway, so you never travel by yourself. Four-day trip. They go there. It's an eight-day festival. Uh, it's a four-day trip back home, so it's a big deal. You've got to be committed. That's what's happening. So I'm going to step it. I'll start right here. Um, verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. I go to family reunion twice a year. Big family up in Turtletown, Tennessee. My grandfather had a 400-acre farm. Everybody shows up. And so, man, it's a zoo. Now, if you have kids... Kids don't come in the house. As soon as they get there, they break for the barn. They're going to try to ride a cow or throw some cow turds at somebody. They're going to try to go down a creek and catch some tadpoles. The kids scatter until it's time to eat. And so I know it's like a family. You know where the kids at? I don't know. They're here somewhere. Uh, we go to the mall and shop. They say, Joe, where are the kids? They'll be here when we go. Trust me. They'll be here. They're not going to be stuck. And so I never worried about the kids. Denise worried about them all the time. They'll show up when you leave. Just honk the horn. They'll, they'll, they'll show up. So Jesus' parents don't miss him. 
He, they assume he's with the big family somewhere. He's out here. So it says this. When they couldn't find him. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let's just do this real slow. They got there and they set up camp. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big group of people. There's, there's donkeys and camels and there's poop and there's smelly stuff. And everybody's got a fire. Somebody's cooking something good. Somebody's cooking something skank. You're going to set up your tent. Mary gets dinner ready for the, I assume at this time she had three other kids. So Joseph, get the kids in here. It's time to eat. Gets the kids in the tent. She's got dinner ready. It's going to get dark pretty soon. There's no ray of light flashlights. You better be in bed by the time the sun goes down. There's no flashlight. So she says, well, where's Jesus at? Well, I holler for him. Go get Jesus. He needs to come in and eat. So Joseph leaves. Two hours go by. Sun goes down. He finally shows back up, and Mary says, where have you been? Well, I've been looking for Jesus. Well, get him in here, man. The dinner's already cold. I've already got the other kids in bed. Well, he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? Get him in here. No, you don't understand. I've been from one end of camp twice, and he's not here. What do you mean he's not here? I think we left him in Jerusalem. We left him in Jerusalem? We left the Son of God in Jerusalem? We could have lost one of these. We lose that one. What kind of father are you? And it's not in the Bible, but they yelled all night. The Bible says the sun came up the next morning. They, they put the kids off with the relatives. They hoof it four hours back to Jerusalem. They don't have photographs. Hey, have you seen this kid? So where do you find a 12-year-old boy? Is he in the bowling alley, the pool hall, movie theater? I don't know. That was years ago. And so for three days, they're looking for the Son of God. You know, silent night, holy night, weed your kings. They've <laughs> lost the Son of God. Man, God's going to kill us dead. They're going to kill us dead. And so after three days, it says they're out of breath. They've looked everywhere, and they're just, just stunned. It's like, we're dead meat. Man, God's is going to kill us. We've lost his son. And so all of a sudden, they're just thinking a minute. And so Mary said, where have we not looked? Just we looked everywhere. And then all of a sudden, Joseph said, well, we've not looked in the temple. No, he's not a normal kid. He's not normal. He might be in the temple. Sure enough, they walk in, and there sits Jesus, 12-year-old boy. What you doing? Asking questions and astonishing all the leaders was what he had to say. What's Jesus doing as a Trevor boy? He's trying to find out who he is. He doesn't know. Oh, he's heard the stories. He, Mary's told him the story about the angel that visited. And he got pregnant. You know, she got pregnant. And there wasn't any guy, you know. And then he was born. And all the wise men showed up. And then we ran off to Egypt and came back. But he's a normal kid. He doesn't make his bed probably real good. He can't raise a dead goldfish. He can't walk on the pond. His clothes are still messed up. He throws dirt with his buddies. Out, and they're playing all the time. He's a normal kid. But he's heard the story, so what's he doing? He was astounding the leaders with his questions and his answers. He's asking who he is. The Bible says that one until he met John the Baptist when he was 30 years old. He goes out and meets that camel hair buggy and Baptist, and he dunks him under the water. When he comes up, Jesus said, God stuck his hand out of heaven and said, said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. For the first time his father spoke to him, you're mine. And the Bible says the Holy Ghost led him in the wilderness to scruff against the devil. The devil's been looking for him since the Garden of Eden. Ever since, ever since Adam and Eve got fired from the job, God came down and told him, said, one day, one day, I know, you, I know they've gone stupid, but one day, big boy, I'm going to come in the flesh, and I'm going to take this back. So for years, Satan's been looking for God. He thought Moses was God. They said the deliverer had been born. He demon possessed Pharaoh, and they killed baby boys by the thousands up and down the Nile River. What happened? Is it Pharaoh? No. Satan's looking for God. Kill him before he grows up. Same thing, when they heard that the Messiah had been born, the wise men, he demon-possesses Herod. Herod goes into Bethlehem, kills baby boys by the thousands, two years of age and under. Was he hate kids? No, the devil's looking for God. Kill him before he grows up. 
The devil's not God. He can't read your mind. He can hear your mouth. Can't read your mind. So all of a sudden that day, God stuck his hand. Okay, big boy, you've been looking. Here he is. Bring it on. And all of a sudden the devil followed him out into the wilderness for 40 days. He says, because there's only three kinds of fast in Jewish culture. There's a uh, three-day fast, eight-day fast, 40-day fast. He knew on day nine he's going for the big one. The devil's attracted to weakness. He's not going to attack me where I'm strong. He's going to attack me where I'm weak. But thank God the Bible says where I'm weak, God will make me strong. I get it in his word. I get in fellowship with the saints. All of a sudden, the devil does not hit Jesus for 40 days. He's just watching him. He's getting weaker and he's getting hungry. And finally, the devil shows up and says, hey, you're the son of God. God just said he was, but the devil's a liar and liars never believe the truth. Are you the son of God? You don't look like the son of God. You look like some smelly Jewish flesh. He said, you look hungry. Are you hungry? Well, if you're the son of God, why don't you turn some rocks into bread and we'll eat lunch, talk over old times. And for the first time ever, a human spoke to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. And I tell kids, they used to tell the high school students, they hit the devil like a two before. Boom! That did not hurt his feelings. The word tangibly hurts the devil. The word tangibly hurts hell. They can't handle it. It put a knot on his head, so he grabbed Jesus, took him way up on top of the temple, set him up there. Now, if you're not eating in 40 days, your equilibrium's not too good. He's kind of bouncing around. All of a sudden, the devil, the devil, he knows that had power in it, so he uses it. He quoted it twice. It is written. It is written. He knows it has power. He doesn't know how it works, but he knows it's got power. It is written. It is written. Throw yourself off. They'll catch you. They don't let you stub your toe in a rock. Did face Jesus, because if you don't know the one that wrote it, don't be quoting it as written. Seven sons of Sceva found that out. And so all of a sudden, Jesus quoted back, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And all of a sudden, that hit the devil again. I used to tell high school students, those are not horns on the devil's head. He doesn't have horns. Those are knots. Jesus put that in the wilderness. Boom! <laughs> this, that's funny, I think. So, so Jesus goes out, and the devil takes him to the wilderness, shows him all the kingdoms. He says, okay, I know why you're here. You to get this back. You bow down and worship me, and I'll give them to you. Number one, he's a liar, but that's not how he's going to get it back. God's going to sucker the devil into killing his son, but he does not deserve to die. He bought my salvation when he came out of that grave. He bought everybody's salvation when he came out of the grave. So God's real smart. So all of a sudden, Jesus is there. And so Joseph said, come on, we're already four days late. Get the kid and let's go home. So the Bible says they left and Mary stored all these things in her heart. And then it says Jesus grew. Jesus grew. Why? He didn't come perfect. Who's in that human body? The second member of the Godhead that created the universe. Thousands, billions of planets. So far you can't ever see the end of the universe. Who made that, that, the spirit that's in that kid's body? The second member of the Godhead in that human body created the universe. But that human doesn't know that. That human, my flesh, your flesh, my children's flesh, they have to grow in the things of God. Are you born again? Mm -hmm. You're going to heaven. Your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. But in your head, you're still a two-year-old thumb sucker. So you've got to get in the Word of God, hang out with the people of God, learn how to repent every day and forgive every day, and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and become somebody that scares hell when you wake up. I try to tell people, you know, every morning you get up, you got to make hell break out into a cold sweat. Oh, he's up. Yes, I am, big boy. Looking for you. Most people are trying to avoid hell. No, we're the body of Christ. We don't play defense. We only play offense. I'm looking for hell every day I get up. We're looking for somebody to help. We want to cast out some devils, lay some hands on sick people. I'm going to whip me some hell today. I'm in a hell whipping mode. We're not avoiding it. We're looking for it. Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So you got to have that, especially if you're going to have a good marriage. What'd you do? You married your absolute 180 degree opposite as a gift from God. Everybody that's ever come to me is a good. We're just not getting along. 
We just don't agree on nothing. You're made for each other. People laugh. I'm very serious. I tell every couple that comes to me, we're not getting along. You're made for each other. Praise God. That's good. You're two opposite people. God is so good. You're opposites. Once you watch too many stinking Disney movies, we don't hold hands. <laughs> That's a lie. That's not going to happen, man. Iron's going to strike iron. Sparks are going to fly. Pucker up. <laughs> so, with this in mind, I want you to learn something. We're all the same. There are no perfect people in this building today. If, if we last another hundred years, there won't be any more perfect people. You're hundred years now. But we're growing people. We know how to repent every day. Forgive every day. We know how to fall down and get back up every day. Every day we're going to make dumb mistakes. I've never been here before. I've never been this old before. I had this many kids this old before. I had this many employees this before. I'm not here. I've not been to this day before. Like, this is a good day. We get to do trust God every day of my life. You'll never get to a point where you don't need Jesus every day of your life. So go ahead and hug his neck and hang on to him. Let's stand up. Say this after me. I'm really big on confession. Say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm blessed and highly favored. I am a child of God. I am the redeemed of the Lord. Everything I set my hand to will prosper. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap. Hey, thanks for listening today. And maybe you're out there and maybe you feel far from God today. Maybe life has thrown you a curveball. You've taken some wrong turns. You've messed up. I'm here to tell you about God's love for your life. You know, it's real and it's for you. And, and no matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, God is there. His love is unconditional. And, and the Bible says that if you just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you're saved. And I'm going to lead you through a prayer. And I just believe that if you say this prayer and mean it with your heart, the Bible says you're saved. And I want to encourage you to tell somebody about this decision. But just wherever you're at, just say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Change me in Jesus' name. It's simple as that. And I encourage you to find a good local church. If, if you can get to Fuel Church, get here. God is moving. God is doing some great things the lives and families of the people that come here, but find a good church where you can grow in God. Until next time, God bless you. Have a great week.